Hey, if you're visiting with us this morning, I want to say welcome. My name is Troy. My wife, Darla, and I get the absolute privilege to pastor this church. And if you are visiting with us today, you came on what I consider a very special day. Um, Annually, this is a traditional day for us. It doesn't always fall on the same Sunday, but the concept is the same. And we call it Purpose Prevails here at Victory Church. And at the end of the year, it's an opportunity for us to come together as a church. And we get to really celebrate what God has done and then be in anticipation of what we're asking God to do in 2020. And one of the ways that we do that is we come together in an end-of-the-year offering, where we all come together and we ask everybody to participate. It's above ties, and it's just a time of sacrificial giving where we get to come together and we ask you to sacrifice. We ask you, we've been telling you about this for weeks um, so that you could pray and kind of be prepared for it, and I'll show you some of that in Scripture towards the end. And I'm going to give a lot more detail and instructions on what to do. But when you came in, you got an envelope. And the reason for that is this, because some of you might have given online already, some of you might be giving in the next couple of weeks, we won't shut down giving until the end of the year for a purpose prevail specifically, but uh, we wanted to allow everybody the opportunity to participate. And so towards the end of the service, we'll have a time where we come down and we, we give into some buckets, and Darla and I have our envelope here, and it, it's really, hear me say this, it's not about amount, it's about participation. For some people... $200 is a sacrifice. For some, $2,000 is a sacrifice. And so our concern is not the amount, but it's the opportunity to participate. Because it's, it's not about, listen, everything that you just saw this church do, we were able to do through your, your consistent giving and certainly through what you gave last year and Purpose Prevails. And we'll be able to do great ministry because of what you give this year. But I'm just going to be honest with you when it comes to me and my wife. It's less about where the money's going to go, and it's more about the opportunity for me to step out in faith and my relationship with God, and see him move in an area that honestly I'm sometimes fearful of, which is my finances. And when I have that opportunity, I see God do something great, and it builds my faith. And I'll share a little bit about that in the message today too. But I just wanted to give you a heads up in case you're visiting. If you're visiting, we don't, we don't expect you to give towards this. If the Lord moves on your heart, praise God. But this is more for what God's doing right here in Victory and what we want him to do in 2020, but also what we're celebrating that he did in 2019. And then most of all, that we're asking him to stretch our faith uh, in, in, a, in a pretty incredible way. Along with that, we're encouraging you to, to serve. And so Growth Track, right after service, we're kind of asking you, uh, as you prep for 2020, to kind of move forward in a couple steps. And so we've stressed Purpose Prevails. We've stressed serving, get on the dream team so you don't miss the Christmas party. And then we'll start 2020 with a 19 days of prayer and fasting. So it's going to be a really intense couple of months for us as a church as we grow spiritually and as we expect God to do something pretty big in our lives. Amen? Um, before we get into Purpose for Veils, I, I thought we would look at John chapter 21 one more time. And so if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn to John chapter 21, if you don't, you can look on the app or of course it'll be behind me on the screen. Um, the concept has been where Jesus asked Peter to give him his net and before that happened, Peter wasn't catching much. There wasn't much success happening and then he gives Jesus his net. He, he, he sacrifices and then all of a sudden, he has this incredible increase. And so we read through that in the perspective of Luke 5. And then we read through it in the perspective of John 21. And I thought it would be fun to pick it up and to finish it today. And when we left off, after Jesus had asked Peter to put his net on the right side of the water, and Peter did, in fact, catch a whole bunch of fish, we left off last week where Peter had actually jumped off the boat into the water to swim towards Jesus. So we're going to pick, there, we're going to pick up there at verse 7. It'll be on the screen as well or in your Bibles, chapter 21, verse 7. Uh, it says, Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. 
And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed him in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore, and it was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. So Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. Do me a favor. I want you to speak the title of my message back to me. But I want you to say it as a question, okay? So here's what it is. It's, I'll get you to repeat it first. Say, test. What test? All right, so now we're going to do that, but you're going to do it as if you're asking me the question. So ready? Say, test. What test? Now do it with this incredible, do it with the emotion you had when you walked into ninth grade biology, biology class and you had forgot that there was a test and the teacher said, hey, hey, there's a test today. And you said, Love it. <laughs> Give yourself a hand. Yeah. I love it when you start participating early. That means we're going to have a good day up here. How many of you that was you in high school? Anybody that was you in high school? Man, that was my theme. If I walked into, high, if I walked into class, you give it English, math, especially math, biology, science. And if a teacher said, today's students were having a test, I would immediately go, test? What test? And it never failed, right? The teacher normally had it on the board for the past three or four weeks so that you could see it. But the truth of the matter is you didn't pay any attention. So here's my question for you. Have you ever been surprised to find yourself in the middle of a test? Yes? I, the more I read John 21 this week, the more I started to realize that I felt like Peter was in the middle of a test. In that moment where we experienced, after Peter jumps off the boat, and the Bible says that he swam ashore to where Jesus was, and then when you read through verses 9 and 10, it says that Peter came onto the shore, and he walks up to Jesus, and Jesus is cooking on the coals some fish and bread. So he's got some Long John Silvers going on there, right? Or some Captain D's, whichever one person y'all are. And, and, and it just felt like a test. Because Peter walks up, and here was my, here is the way I viewed it. Peter walks up and says, yo, Jesus, you got fish. Great. Like, I, in other words, you don't need mine, right? Like, I'm so glad you got fish. And then Jesus looks at him and says, now go get yours. And it was interesting to me because what I'm seeing here, what this means is that Jesus doesn't need Peter's fish, but he asked for them anyway. Doesn't that feel like a test? You ever had a moment in your life and you were like, this feels like a test? Husbands, you ever had your wife say something to you before and you go, this feels like a test? You know what I'm talking about? Like if, if they come up and ask you like, hey, babe, how much do you love me? That feels like a test, right? Like, like there would be moments, I, I'll, I'll go to Starbucks a lot of times for meetings and my wife knows my calendar because we share a Google calendar. And so she can look on there and see that I'm at Starbucks in a meeting. And I'll get this text message during my meeting and she'll go, hey, babe, what you doing? 
that always feels like a test, right? Like there's, they're, they're never just curious to where you are. There's something, and I'm like, well, babe, I'm, I'm at a meeting. Oh, where are you meeting? I'm meeting them at Starbucks. And then here's how I know it's a test. Her next response is, okay, help me with that. <laughs> Do you know what she's saying? Bring me some coffee, right? That's exactly what she's saying. How, how many men, how many of y'all fail that test all the time? Do you? Is it, okay, we're going to start a personal counseling committee. You know what I realized? Everybody who raised their hand was pretty young. Do you see that? <laughs> These mature husbands, they've learned already. Uh-huh. I know y'all have learned. Y'all just buy coffee just, just to have it, just so you can take it. How, how many of you ever had your kids come to you, and they ask you a question, and you know, this sounds like a test, right? So the other day, I was on the couch, and I'm working on my computer, and uh, my wife and, and Casey Ray, my youngest, she's five, had had this conversation in our bedroom, so I didn't hear it. Um, and the conversation went like this. Mom, can I have some dessert, something sweet, to which Darla responded, once you finish your apple. And so Casey Ray got the information good. So Casey Ray knew I wasn't in there for that conversation. What she didn't know is that during the next few minutes, Darla had transitioned from the bedroom to upstairs. But the upstairs is open, so you can hear what's going on downstairs. So I'm sitting there working. Darla's upstairs. I'm not really paying attention. And Casey Ray kind of comes creeping in. And she's like, hey, Dad. And I'm like, yes. And I know, right? This, this sounds like a test. Something's about to happen. And she goes, can I have a dessert? And y'all know what's going on here. She's asking me, even though her mom's already told her the answer. And so literally, before I could even respond, Darla spoke from upstairs, all right? It was like the Spirit of God was speaking. And she was like, I already told you before you're, you know, if you've had your apple. And you could just see the fear all over Casey Ray. Because she knew mom was in there, but she didn't know where. You know what I mean? It was like... Yeah. And, and, and so she, here's what, here's what uh, Darla actually said to her. She said, well, but did you finish your apple? And I'm not lying to you. Clear as day, Casey Ray started moonwalking out of our living room. And she went, I don't remember. <laughs> right? And I'm like, what's happening right now? It just, it just felt like a test. And I think when Jesus asks us for our fish, even when he doesn't need them, I think the reason for that is I believe he's testing us. I believe there's a test happening a lot of times, where we are responding, test? What test? And the test is the test of generosity. God wants to see what we'll give. God wants to see where our generosity is. And I, I, throughout this process, I started praying, God, why? Like, why, why would you be testing our generosity? And I started thinking about it like this. When you took a test in school, you took a test for one reason. And that reason was to be able to identify where you were in the education level of the subject that you were being tested on so that the teachers and the administration would know if they could move you up to the next level. Because the test reveals where you are in this level to know if you're now able to go to the next level. And so I'm realizing that a lot of times the test of generosity is to see where I am in the attitude of generosity so that if God wants to move me to a different level of blessing, he knows if I'm ready to go. Here's the statement that I thought you'd really agree with if you heard it. The fish are a test to see if Peter's ready for the favor. The fish are just a test. Jesus has all the fish he needs and bread. He's got old Charlie's rolls right there, hot, ready to go. So he doesn't need it, right? He's got the red lobster cheese biscuits. Can I get a hallelujah? You know what I'm talking about? He's got it with the fish. He doesn't need the fish. But the fish, asking Peter for the fish, they're a test to see if Peter's ready for the favor. 
Hear me. Jesus didn't ask for the fish because he couldn't handle breakfast. He could. He asked Peter for the fish to see if Peter could handle the blessing. Because here's what I'm learning about God. Every test God gives me leads to a promotion. Every test God gives me leads to promotion. But sometimes I can be promoted early and find myself in a place that I'm not ready for. What do you think would have happened if Peter would have swam to shore, walked up on the beach or whatever it was, and walked over to the coal and said, Jesus, you got some fish. And Jesus would say, yeah, you know, go get, your, you know, go get yours. And what if Peter would have said this? Jesus, I'm perfectly okay with you sharing your fish. I think that's very generous of you. I think you've got the spirit of God in you, and I'm excited for it. But I'm not sharing mine. Imagine that, right? Imagine that exchange. You ever been to dinner with somebody, and you get an appetizer, and they get an appetizer, and they want to try your appetizer, but you can't try their appetizer? Y'all ever had one of those moments, you know what I'm talking about? Or like you buy cheese dip, and they eat all the cheese dip, but they don't want to pay for half the cheese dip? You know what I'm talking about? Amen. I'm calling some of you out right now, you little cheese dip thieves. You know? So it's just this concept of like, hey, Jesus, you be generous all you want. You share, but I don't want to share. I think what I'm learning is that when generosity is low, it's usually because entitlement is high. When my generosity is low, it's normally because my entitlement is high. This is mine. You give yours, but this is this is mine, Jesus. You got fish. You got bread. The entitlement goes up and the generosity goes down. There's really only two ways that Peter could have responded in this moment, okay? So Jesus walk, or Peter walks up to Jesus. Jesus is cooking the fish, and then Jesus says, hey, I want your fish. And there's really only one of two ways that Peter could respond. Here's what, The first way would have been this. Jesus has his own fish. Why does he need mine? Right? It's pretty common response. The second way would have been this. I only have what I have because of Jesus to begin with. So whatever Jesus asked me for, I'm going to give him. That's really the only two ways we can respond when it comes to generosity. God's already got enough. What does he need mine for? You know, I've heard a lot of preachers preach before, and I'll, I'll listen to this all the time. I'll listen to sermons all the time. And you'll hear preachers go like, they'll, they'll be trying to encourage people to be generous, and they'll go, God doesn't need your money. Right? Y'all ever heard that? God doesn't need your money. God's got all the money. He doesn't need your money. And I'm like, hey, I hate to tell you this. That's not helping. Because when you tell me God doesn't need my money, it makes me want to go, but hey, God, I do need my money. So if you don't need it, can a brother get it back? You know what I'm saying? Like, like that doesn't really make much sense to me. So it kind of finds ourselves in a way where we can make one of two responses. Where it's either, hey, Jesus, you don't need my money, so I'm going to keep it. Or you know what, God, to be honest with you, everything that I have, you gave me to begin with. And so if you ask for it, whatever you ask for, you can have. And I'm learning that the test of generosity, watch this, it's a test about the heart. And when it comes to giving, your heart is either going to drag it or dread it. Now, I got to walk you through this because this was some of the revelation for me this week. When it comes to me being generous, when it comes to me stepping out in faith and giving towards God, I can respond one of two ways. I can dread it 
or I can drag it. So watch, in verse 11, it says, so Simon Peter climbed back into the boat because he had to go back to where he was to remember where he's come from, right? It's a whole other sermon. And he dragged the net ashore. Now, the first time I read this, I misinterpreted the situation because I immediately connected the word dragged to Peter's attitude. Because in my house growing up, dragging was a negative thing, right? If you didn't get what you want, you walked away dragging whatever you had, right? Y'all remember that? You remember as a kid, you'd drag your jacket on the floor because mom and dad wouldn't let you go somewhere, so you would drag something. In my house, when my kids are angry, they start dragging stuff. Like, they're just up the stairs, you hear, boom, 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 boom. And I'm like, what are you doing? Don't drag it. It's, their, it's, it's an expression of their attitude. They're upset. They're mad. And so they're dragging something. So when I saw Peter dragging his net, I immediately went, this is negative, because to me, dragging equals dreading. So if you're dragging it, then you got to be dreading it. And so I picture Peter dragging his fish to Jesus. Like, you got to be kidding me. You know what I mean? Like, he's dragging, he's like hitting every rock. You know what I mean? Like, you, got, got, you got fish, you got bread, too, on the gold. There's just three of us. What do you mean? You need my fish, too? You got your own. We don't do that, right? And then if y'all ever came to serve on a Sunday morning like that, and show up at 6.30 and turn the lights on. <laughs> Troy better get himself up here and turn on the light. He ain't sleeping and snoring. Right? You know what I mean? Like, okay, I won't talk about you since you don't want to be honest. I'll talk about me. I, I, I drag a lot of things to Jesus. A lot of times when I've given money, I've had to drag it. You know, whenever I've had to serve, I've had to drag it. Whenever I've, it's always been a drag thing for me. Whereas, like, sometimes it's hard. Because, listen, just because God tells you to do it doesn't mean it's easy. That's the concept of faith. And so a lot of times we're dragging our sacrifice to the Lord. And so I was picturing that. I was like, God, here's Peter upset because you got fish, and now you want his fish. And so he's dragging his fish to you. And I'm like, yeah, this is, woo, it's encouraging you, right? You can't wait to give. You know what I mean? No, no, okay. So this week God said, whoa, whoa, I've been on this perspective shift thing for a while. You'll hear more about this in the new year, but I think the word for our church in 2020 is shift. And I'm going to preach through that. It's a year. It's a lot coming on. Next year, or next uh, Sunday, we're going to start a new series on my feelings, and I'm going to talk about anxiety as we get ready to close out the year, and it's going to be incredible. But, but I was on this perspective shift, like a perspective shift. I need a perspective shift. And um, I felt the Lord say, you're looking at it wrong. Dragging is not dreading. And then he gave me this statement. Dragging was not an expression of his attitude. It was evidence of his abundance. Now that'll change your perspective. So him dragging is not an expression of his attitude. It's not, it's proof. It's evidence of his abundance. He has so much that he has to drag it. Last night, I got the privilege to officiate a wedding in Memphis, Tennessee, for a, a young lady who used to cut my hair, and I ended up leading her to the Lord, and it was an incredible relationship. And Darla and I drove uh, all the way to Memphis yesterday, um, or, or, or Friday, to marry her and her husband yesterday. And we were there for not even 30 hours. Not, not even, like, we got there Friday at, like, I don't know, 5 or something, and we left Friday at, like, 6. So what's that, 24 hours maybe? I don't know. Um, but, but not even there for very long. But we stayed with Grandma and Grandpa, Okay. We're getting ready to leave last night at about 6 p.m., and I've got our luggage, which is a little bag of luggage, and our hanging clothes, and that's all we came with, one, one little bag, a couple of hanging clothes. I'm walking out, and Darla goes, hey, babe, everything on the dryer is ours, too. 
I'm like, we didn't come here with that. I walk out of the house, I have seven outfits for girls hanging on my arms and two bags of toys as I'm walking up. I am dragging stuff to the car because you can't visit grandma and grandpa for even 24 hours without bringing home bags of stuff. Thank you. <laughs> She's going to be watching tomorrow morning. Next time, these six outfits need to be something I can wear. Can I get an Amen. But I'm dragging. But listen, dragging wasn't my attitude. It was evidence of the abundance that we had. And I'm starting to get a perspective shift that, you know what, maybe I need to realize that God, what, watch this, what if Jesus isn't asking us to give because he wants what we have? What if he's asking us to give because he wants us to realize what we have? It's a perspective shift. So, so we met with this couple for dinner. Uh, I, I, I get, I'll, I'll tell you this, I get the privilege, so the security guard that we pay Ryan that, that does security for us, uh, him and his fiance Leslie asked me to marry them next year. So that's such an incredible story. And so we went to dinner with them to kind of celebrate that. And our kids were coming, and there's candy there. You know, you can put a quarter in and get some candy out of the machine. And so it's Casey Ray's birthday was a couple weeks ago, and she got some money. She comes to me with a dollar bill, and she says, Dad, I want to get some candy at the Mexican restaurant. I said, okay, so I took her dollar bill, and I gave her four quarters, because that's what a good dad does. You ain't just getting four quarters. Give me your dollar. And so I put the dollar in the change thing, and, and of course, now Veda needs it. So I gave Veda a little bit of money, and I said, here you go. And we get into the car, and we go to the restaurant. When we get to the restaurant, Veda's lost her money. How does that happen? You hadn't lost 50 cents ever. You know what I mean? That's what happens when you, when you just know it's coming. You don't steward it well. That's a whole other deal. Um, and so, so we go to the restaurant, and we eat, all that's done. We're getting ready to leave, and the girls go to the candy machine. I know Veda doesn't have any money, so I'm trying to process how am I going to solve this problem, right? And uh, Case Ray has four quarters, and every candy thing takes a quarter. So she gets to get four handfuls of candy, and she's just having a blast. She's like, I don't know if I want this. And Veda's like, sissy, can I have one quarter? She's like, no. You know, like, it's beautiful. Like, it's just what would Jesus do? You know, WWJD, Casey. And so, so she's going through the process. She's already spent like two of them. She got Skittles coming out of her ears. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I'm trying to figure this out because Casey Ray can do two things here. She can have a perspective shift because she can either say, I've only got four quarters. Or she can say, my sister's only asking for one. Right? So I'm trying to teach my kids about tithing and generosity while they're young. Didn't work. <laughs> we'll have to wait till they're 30. And so I'm trying to walk through this process because I'm like, Casey, think about it like this. You got four quarters. She's only asking for one. That means you're going to have three. And she's like, no. <laughs> so I did what I think the Lord does in a much more biblical way. He does it in a biblical way. I said, hey, I'll make you a deal. You give her two of your quarters, I'll give you your dollar back. She's like, what? I said, yeah, so technically you will have earned another dollar. Because she's five. I've got to explain this to her. And she goes, okay. And so she gave 50 cents to her sister. They both got candy. When we got home, I had to give her back a dollar. Problem solved. Generosity taught. Father of the year. Thank you right now. Thank you. That is not very uh, encouraging. <laughs> but I'm just trying to learn this perspective shift thing, right? Like, like. Help me, God. Help me to understand that when you're asking me to give sacrificially, it's not so much about the fact that you need my money. 
but it's about the fact that you want me to realize what it is that I have. You want me to be grateful for the abundance that I have and what you're doing in my life and then me being able to turn around and trust you with elevating it more. It's, it's a test. So if I was to share with you just a little bit about Darla and I, this is technically our second year as a church giving to Purpose Prevails. And I shared this last year because I always want you to know that I'm going to lead you uh, long before I ever ask you to do anything. And so last year, we were the first people to put our envelope in the bucket. And I told you that we had written a check that was the largest check we had ever written, ever written. And it scared me to death to do that. And it came time to write the check for this year. And I, I knew God was wanting us to increase that. And as we were discussing the number, I prayed about it for weeks and as we're discussing it, and, and I'm trying to write it, you know, there's a part of my hand that's shaking, if I was honest with you. I uh, started getting hand cramps, as Jerry Jones would say, as I'm trying to write these checks. And um, I had this kind of moment uh, of remembrance of where I am and where I was. See, that doesn't mean too much to you until I tell you that probably about four or five years ago, maybe, we were still in Memphis, and... Because of the, Darla was a stay-at-home mom, our, our, our kids were very little at the time, and I didn't get paid a whole lot. And so just to be honest with you, transparent with you, there were times that my kids would bring me their toys that, that operated with batteries. And we were living so much of a paycheck-to-paycheck paycheck type lifestyle that when they would come to me with that toy, I didn't think we could afford batteries. And so instead of trying to go out and buy new batteries, I would just say, hey, this toy's broken. And then we would just get rid of that toy move on so that I wouldn't have to buy the batteries. And so there's a moment there where I'm writing the check, and I'm like, God, this has nothing to do with the fact that you need this money. It has everything to do with the fact that I'm having a moment here where I can kind of take a perspective shift, and I can look back on where you've brought me from and be able to see all that you've done and taken care of me. And everything that happened this past year and everything that you did for us and for us to be able to do this and for us to be able to do that, there's a moment where me giving is just a reminder of what God's already given me. Make sense? And it made me think about it like this. Sometimes the best thing God can give us is not something new, but just the remembrance of what we already have. I think that's important. And as we move forward and as today happens and and talking to Bobby earlier this week about it. It's, it's an iconic moment for our church, and it's an iconic moment for you. And before we ever get into it, I want you to be able to have that perspective shift. And so I was on that perspective, perspective. God, help me with my perspective. And all of a sudden, God reminded me of a verse in John chapter 21 that's bothered me forever because it's so random. I don't know if you recognized it, but did you see that when it talks about Peter's fish, it says that there were 153 of them? Did y'all catch that? So let me show you again real quick. Uh, there it is, verse 11. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. So it gives you the number of the amount of fish that Peter had. And that's always been interesting to me because normally throughout the Bible, it doesn't get that specific. It doesn't say that, you know, Jesus healed, healed this many people. Just say Jesus healed everyone. It doesn't get like super specific. So for it to get so specific at this moment was interesting to me. And listen, theologians give a lot of reasons for why this is in the Bible. But here's what I knew God was telling me. Here's why it was in the Bible for me. Because every time God asked me to give something, I start to count it. Am I the only one? No? I'll just try and talk to myself. Okay, so 
What happens, Troy, is every time God asks you to serve, you count how many hours you're going to have to serve. Every time God counts or calls you to give, you count how many dollars you're going to have to give. Because that's how I process. So I sit down and go, oh, God, 153? That's a lot of fish. Do you know what these fish could do? And then all of a sudden, I become real, like, like saint. You know what I mean? I could use this money to feed the poor. You know what I mean? Like, you're going to buy Xbox games. Like, chill out. You know what I mean? And so it's that process where Peter's probably like, 153? My goodness. That's a lot of fish. Now, all of a sudden, he's counting the fish. You want me to give? What if I just gave you 111 of them? Because then I could keep 42, and it could be me and the boys, and we could eat. And then we could probably make a little bit of leftovers. You know, you start kind of negotiating with God, right? Well, that's what I do. I count and I start to negotiate. And there's a perspective thing. And here's what God told me. God said, hey, remember the line that the fish are just a test to see if Peter's ready for God's favor? So, yes, sir. Do you remember that verse? Yes, sir. Okay. And here's the pathway he took me on. When was another time where the number was specific to what Peter was doing? So I immediately thought about the three times he denied Christ. I was like, well, that's a number, three times. But that doesn't really connect to this. I don't understand how that's favored. And so I kept on thinking. I kept on thinking, when's another time that Peter did something and the number was specific? Because now he's given fish and the number is specific. 153 fish. Right? So the fish was a test for the favor. So where was there a moment where the favor of God was on Peter and the number came back again and the Lord reminded me about the book of Acts and how Peter, as soon as Jesus, as soon as this whole conversation with Jesus was over and Jesus started his, or, or Peter started the ministry for Jesus, Jesus went back to heaven and then Peter started the ministry and started preaching and in the book of Acts was kind of the first time he was preaching, first time he was pastoring a church and watch this, Acts chapter 2, verse 38 and 41, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, he's preaching. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then it says those who accepted his message were baptized. And about what? 3,000 were added to the number that day. How many? That's specific. That could have said and a whole bunch of people were added to the church that day. It could have said and everybody in that region was added to the church that day. It could have been very vague, same way that John 21 could have said, and Jesus, or Peter gave Jesus a bunch of his fish. But what Jesus wants us to see is that the test, the fish, is a test to see if we're ready for the favor. So he gave up 153 fish, but it led to 3,000 souls. See what I mean? I just wonder, I couldn't help but think about this. Do you really think there was ever a moment where Peter missed the fish? You think he was up there preaching and watching thousands, thousands, thousands being baptized. Boom, boom, boom. When I, whenever, and if you've ever been here for a baptism Sunday, it's the most energetic thing. You're just like, ah, right, for every person. So you imagine three thousand people just getting dumped, just choo, 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 choo. And it's so exciting. And Peter's up there and he's like, this is amazing. Look what God's doing. 3,000 people have been saved, and 3,000 people have been added to the church, and we're moving the gospel. This is amazing. And I wonder if John would have been up there and been like, hey, Pete. Hey, Pete. Pete. This is a, what, bro? Did you see this? They get baptized. Lives are being changed, bro. Come watch this, bro. 
I'd be. The day, when the day comes that we're in a room and there's 3,000 people, I'm going I'm to talk like this. What, John? What, bro? What if John would have said, hey, do you regret giving him those 153 fish? What are you talking about? Remember that time when we were in the boat and Jesus had cooked some food and we got out the boat and he asked for our fish and there was 150. You remember that? Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. How could you have forgotten about that? Because the favor was so much greater than the fish. And I just don't think there was ever a moment where Peter regretted the favor because he missed the fish. And this is what I think about when it comes to the test that I know God's taken me through. Because here's what I like to do with stuff like this. I, I can't preach to you. I have to preach to me. I can't tell you how you should feel. I can't tell you how your emotions should operate. I can only tell you what I know God's doing in me. And I know that God's using those fish as a test in my life to be able to see if I'm ready for the favor. I, I, I do really good, I hope I do really good, at celebrating the fact that if it weren't for you, 202 people wouldn't be saved. Walked off stage. It's not a good day to get emotional. Walked off stage last Sunday. Tim has been with me, moved here. Memphis with us. Him and his wife were the first couple to move here. Uh, pioneered us here. And uh, he kind of grabbed me afterwards. He, he takes off my microphone and gets it to the production team. He said, hey, man. And he, he was talking about it. He said, but, but none of this happens if, if you don't move. That was a cool moment for me. And it made me think back to a year ago when Darla and I gave into that purpose prevails sacrifice giving and we believed God for more because that was our word, more. And now we watch numbers of the church growing and people being saved and baptisms and I just have to believe that apparently that that time that was a test of the fish and now we're living in the favor. The test that you guys passed, we're living in the favor. And I think God wants to do so much more in 2020, but he's testing to see where we are, how much we trust him, how generous are we really. And if we'll step out and believe, then the favor of God becomes something that is so huge and so incredible that we even forget the sacrifice. Amen? I wanted to share a quick story with you, Ben. I'm going to ask you guys to go ahead and come up, go ahead and get in place. I wanted to share a quick story with you that... I heard another pastor say in a sermon, personal story about himself. And I really liked it, and it really encouraged and challenged me, and I wanted to share it with you. You may be familiar with him. His name is Robert Morris. He pastors a church in Texas. Um, but when he tells the story, he, he's, at the time, he was just a traveling evangelist. So he wasn't pastoring a church. He would just travel to different churches and speak and take up a little love offering or whatever. And so in, he's telling a story this particular month, that's his only income. His wife doesn't work. It's his only income. And that particular month, he had one gig lined up. He was going to go to one church and preach. So his entire monthly budget had to come from that one church. And one morning before he had ever gone to that church, he was praying, and he felt the Spirit of God tell him, uh, when they ask you for how much you charge, tell them you don't have any financial obligations. So he's like, what, God? Like, you know, this is how I'm going to put. And so he listens to him. The church calls him. 
starts to line up all the details, and Pastor Robert says, I don't have any financial obligations. And here's what the pastor says on the phone. Good, because I'm not even sure we could pay your gas. That's encouraging, right? Makes you go like, ooh, faith, God. So him and his wife, time comes for him to travel to the church. Him and his wife get in the car. They're driving across the state to go to this church, and they stop to get gas. He pulls up at the gas station. He goes into the gas station to pay for the gas, and the gas attendant slides him back his car and says, you don't need to pay. He says, what do you mean I don't need to pay? She goes, when you pulled up, the Spirit of God told me to pay for your gas. When's the last time you had a gas attendant tell you anything about the Spirit of God? <laughs> right? So, obviously, praises God, he gets back in his car. They drive on to the church. They get to the church. That night, the service starts. There's a missionary there that kind of speaks a little bit before him. Then he comes up, and he preaches his heart out. Church is over, and the pastor of the church gets up and says, man, wasn't that great? Didn't you enjoy Brother Robert? Um, he starts to go through the process. He says, here's what's cool. Brother Robert has no financial obligations for this, so we're going to take up a love offering for him, which kind of means, hey, whatever you got in your pocket, put it in the plate kind of thing, right? And so the service is over, and the pastor comes running up to Pastor Robert, so excited. He's like, you're not going to believe this, Pastor Robert. I'm not going to believe this. He goes, it's the largest uh, one-time offering our church has ever given. And so he hands the check to Robert, or the, yeah, it was a check, and the exact amount to the penny is what he needs for that month budget. Incredible, right? So he said as he looked at that check, he looked up and he saw the missionary. And he felt the Spirit of God say, give the check to the missionary. And he's like, well, God, <laughs> this is obviously my check. It's like it's my budget to the dollar, right? This is obviously for me. You're a little twisted right now. And so, you know, obviously, again, he, he obeyed. And he walked over. He gave the check to the missionary. And he felt the Lord tell him, don't tell anybody. So he told the missionary, hey, don't, don't tell anybody about this. Take it. God bless. It was over. He goes and gets his wife. They're leaving out of the church. Now they're just going to travel back home with zero dollars. And they see three couples, six people standing in the parking lot talking. And they invite Robert and his wife Debbie to go have pizza. They have never met any of these people. And so Robert says, he says in the sermon, I said, yeah, because we couldn't afford to buy anything. So maybe we're going to get a free dinner. So they go to this restaurant. And the way they sit, they put Robert on one end. They put his wife Debbie on the other. And the six couple or the three couples sit right across from each other in the middle. So Robert, three men, his wife, three women. He said, immediately when we sat down, two men started talking about football. He said, it left me and this one guy I had never met before. He said, we started talking. He said, the guy leaned over to me and he said, hey, how much was the check? He said, I thought that was kind of weird. He said, but I just figured maybe he's one of those, like, business guys who's just into that kind of thing. He said, so I told him the amount, didn't think anything about it. He said, the guy then looked at me and said, where's the check? He said, now I felt a little offended. Like, you know, it's not really your business. He said, so I kind of panicked because I didn't want to tell anybody. You know, so he said, I just told him, Debbie has it. <laughs> so he just thought he'd forget about it. And the guy said, go get it. He was like, oh, boy. So he said he got up and he walked to the other end of the table. He said, she doesn't have the check. He said, so I, don't, so I just walked over and said, hey, baby, how's your pizza? Okay, good. <laughs> okay, well, I love you. And then he came back and he sat back down. And the guy looked at him and said, where's the check? And he goes, oh, it's, she left it in the car. It's in the car. And then the guy looked at him and said, it's not in the car. And I love this when Robert preached it. He says, I went, well, where is it? <laughs> he said, he sounds like you know so much. Where is it? And the guy said, you gave it away, didn't you? Pastor Robert said, yeah, I did. He said, why did you do that? He said, man, I, I just felt the Lord tell me to give it away. He said, I'm glad you said that. He said, because a couple of days ago, he said, I've never been to this church, the church that Pastor Robert preached. He said, I've never been here before. I don't know any of these people. 
said, but I felt the Spirit of God tell me to come to this church this night and that you'd be speaking. He said, so before I ever came, I wrote you a check. And he slid him this check, and he turned around, and it was 10 times the check he had gotten at the other church. Robert said he went to grab it, and the guy held on to it. <laughs> and he said, that guy looked right at him, and he said, God's going to teach you about the blessing of generosity so that you can teach the world. And he went on to write and preach about it, and I've listened to it over and over again. It's phenomenal. And the story continues. He ends up giving that away too. But it's that concept of a perspective shift. When we started to write our check, I started counting. <laughs> like, God, we can't afford that. You know what I mean? Like, come on, add the two, carry the three. This doesn't make sense. I told Darla, I said, uh, I said, I don't see how we could go anymore next year. And I just kind of said it, and I think, and I was like, God would have to do something crazy for us to be able to give more next year. It's a perspective shift. This concept is a relationship with me and God and learning how to step out in such faith and then see God come through and my relationship starts to become intimate on a different level. That's what I'm learning. And that's what I want you to learn. And so let me give just a little bit of instruction. I'm going to invite the auditorium host now. We'll go ahead and set the buckets up front. When you walked in, you got an envelope like this. It is very large, as Pastor Brian said. And so we did that so that you would not miss it. Um, have it in your hand. And uh, I want to give just a little bit of instruction. You'll, you could be at a different place in here today. Maybe you came here today and you already knew what you were giving. You had your check in hand. You've put it in the envelope. You're ready to go. Maybe you gave online and we still want you to mark on here because we want everybody to participate in a minute. When we start to come down as a church, I want you to be in that. And even though you may have given online a couple days ago or whatever it might be, you may be in here and purpose prevails for you maybe more about starting to tithe instead of giving some large amount. It may be $2. It may be $2,000. It's not about an amount. It's about the participation. It's about the moment of faith. It's about the moment of trust. And so I just want to encourage you. And I want to do that real quick, and I want to read just a couple more verses, and then we'll pray, and, and we'll finish up the service. But... I wanted you to see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 7 through 12. Every year when we do Purpose Prevails, about four or five weeks out, I start telling you about it. And I say things like, I want you to pray about it. I want you to think about it. Because I don't want you to come in and be guilted into giving something. That's why we say it'll be left op open until December, the end of December, in case you're visiting for the first time today. But look what this says. It says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Cheerful doesn't mean you forced yourself to be happy. Cheerful means you've processed this with God and you're confident about what he's calling you to give. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. 
This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. What does that mean? That in a minute, when I put my envelope in this bucket, it's going to represent two things. It's going to represent the financial need that it'll take to bless many people in 2020. But it also is an overpowering worship and thanks to my God of who he is in my life. Amen? Would you stand with me? Last year, this church came together and gave sacrificially. And now as a result of that, the church has grown. Many have been saved. Many have been baptized. And I believe that God wants to do that again. So Father, we come to you right now. And in a moment, your sons, your daughters are going to walk down here in faith and they're going to give. And there's going to be a moment of sacrifice. It's all going to be different for every person, but the heart's the same. A moment where we're saying we're not just trusting you for our salvation, but we're trusting you for the guidance of our everyday life. We're thankful for what you did in 2019. We praise you for 202 people who gave their heart to you. We praise you for 227 who called this church their home. We praise you for the 41 that were baptized. We praise you for the $26,000 that we were able to give in outreach opportunities for the missionaries we support and for the people who have just found their home, their family. We thank you for that. And today we sow, God. We give you our nets in belief that you're going to do that again and more in 2020. For every individual that's stepping out for the very first time, I pray you'd give them faith. For the mature Christian who this might have been one of many times they've given sacrificially, I pray they'd be strengthened. And I pray that you would use every one of us, Lord, to be able to impact Smyrna and Rutherford County, to be able to see people saved, baptized, marriages healed, prodigal sons returned, healings happen, miracles happen, a church built and a city changed. So God, we give it to you right now. We ask that you would lead us, you would guide us, you would direct us. We trust you.
with everything we have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.